Trayvon Martin, killed by a neighborhood watchman in Sanford, Florida. Sharonda Singleton, one of nine members of Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, killed by a self-proclaimed white supremacist while attending a Bible study. Ahmed Arbery, chased and shot by two white men in his neighborhood in South Georgia. Brianna Taylor, shot in her home by a Louisville police officer. George Floyd, killed by a Minneapolis police officer who kneeled into his neck for nearly nine minutes. Say their names. Maybe you've heard those words over these past weeks emerging as a refrain from the protests and demonstrations taking place in the US. Say their names. Don't let the black men and women who are victims of police brutality and racist violence be anonymous statistics. Don't let them be numbers we can generalize and ignore. Let them be people, individual human beings with pasts behind them and dreams for their futures. Let them be daughters and sons, friends and neighbors, students and mentors and partners whose lives were unjustly taken from them. Say their names. I have been reminded these past weeks and months that speaking names can be an act of resistance. To speak the names of people who are often overlooked, whose rights are trampled, who find themselves on the margins of society, is to resist the forces of dehumanization. To speak the names is to resist those who would rather these persons be silenced or forgotten. We say the names to remember, to mourn, to commit once again to honoring the dignity of each individual person. We say the names to resist. Yesterday was World Refugee Day, a day set aside in the language of UNHCR for honoring refugees around the globe, for celebrating the strength and courage of people who have been forced to flee their home country to escape conflict or persecution. I find that particular language moving. If refugees are paid attention to at all, they are generally pitied for their situation, for the losses they've endured and the difficult decisions they've been forced to make. Pity has its place, of course, and maybe it can lead us to compassionate action. But to honor refugees, to celebrate their resilience and courage, to recognize the immense personal strength they often exhibit in setting out from their homes in search of safety and a better life, to remember the innumerable ways in which they in fact enrich the communities in which they ultimately land. It is rare that we pause to do this. So World Refugee Day is a reminder, an occasion not only to check the statistics and remember the issue, but to recognize refugees for the individual gifted people they are. Say their names. Right here in Switzerland, the Open Church in Bern has marked this day in recent years by speaking and writing the names of refugees. In particular, they have tracked down the list of those who have died in trying to reach Europe from 1993 to the present. They've read those names aloud in the sanctuary, and they've written them on bits of paper. If you turn to the back of your bulletin today, you'll find a glimpse of what this effort looked like last year. 35,000 
individual slips of paper fixed to the outer walls of the church for all to see, each with a name and a date. 35,000 individual lives, often rendered invisible or reduced to statistics, each with a story to tell, each with hopes for something better. This is an important project, and we're joining in a bit this year, as you can see. 10,000 names from that list, which has now grown to more, to more than 40,000 in total, were read in a church in Carouge yesterday, and members of our community were there to take a turn. In the time I was there, which was only about an hour, all of the names read came from 1996. Jean-Baptiste Milan from Ivory Coast, Chinteka Silva from Sri Lanka, Naim Akram from Pakistan, Christine Makodila from Zaire, Igor Horvat from Bosnia. We speak the names to honor, to remember, to resist. But what about those whose names we don't know? What then? The Bible is filled with people whose names we don't know, and many, if not most, of these characters are women. Women figure prominently in stories throughout Scripture, of course, and many of those names we do know well. Sarah and Rebecca, Hannah and Hagar, Ruth and Esther and Mary. But many remain unnamed. On the peripheries of the stories, a testament to the thoroughly patriarchal cultures in which the Bible took shape. We have two readings today featuring women whose names are lost, whose names we will never know, but who nonetheless demonstrate immense personal strength and courage and faith. And it also just so happens that from the perspective of the biblical authors, both are foreigners. In the Old Testament story, God tells the prophet Elijah to leave the land of Israel and head for Zarephath to wait out a terrible drought in the land. God sends him away from his home country to people who speak a different language and worship different gods. And specifically, God sends him into an encounter with a woman by the city gate. This woman has every reason to turn away this stranger from Israel who asks her for something to eat. It's important to notice that. She's a widow, after all. In this culture, an extremely vulnerable person. She has a child of her own to care for. In the midst of the drought, she is down to her last serving of food. And this man asking her for help is not even from her tribe, her culture, her people. Why should she invite him to the table for her last meal with her son? And yet she does. Do not be afraid, Elijah says, and she takes these words to heart, welcoming this stranger making room, and finding that somehow there is enough to go around. In our reading from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is passing through that very same region centuries later. But now the tables are turned. This time it's a local woman crying out to him for help. Her daughter is sick, and she calls out to this traveling teacher and healer from Israel, hoping that he can make her well. Now, Jesus knew his scriptures. You would think he might remember what happened 
in the same region long ago. How a Canaanite woman from Zarephath, this town just down the road from where he is now, had mercy on a stranger from Israel. How she reached beyond the boundaries of language and culture and religion and nation to show care and compassion for a fellow human being. You would think he might remember her example and let it shape his own response to the woman who's clearly in need in front of him. But it seems in this moment, Jesus forgets. And instead, and instead of following the widow's example, he defaults to the old borders and limits. At first, he ignores the woman. And then he tells her he was only sent for the lost sheep of Israel, only to his own people. And then in a final gesture, clearly meant to bring this conversation to a close, he even calls her a dog. And yet this woman remains undeterred. She doesn't back down, but keeps ins insisting, demanding that Jesus listen, even sparring with him a little. Okay, it might not be fair to give the children's food to the dogs, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, she says, simply refusing to take no for an answer, refusing to let time-worn boundaries define the limits of God's grace and care. Her extraordinary persistence and faith are enough to break through the callousness of Jesus' initial response. And in the end, her daughter is healed. Say their names. Say the names of refugees so they are not merely statistics, not merely a crisis or an issue, but human beings, individual lives woven through with courage and strength. But what about those names we don't know? Those whose names we cannot say? An especially tragic element of that list of lives lost en route to Europe is just how many names are unknown. How many of those names are lost, like the widow who came to Elijah's aid, or the Canaanite woman who stretched Jesus' understanding of God's mercy? How many are simply listed as N-N? What about them? We can't speak their names, but like the unnamed characters of the Bible, we can tell their stories. We can hold them before God, we can recall their inherent dignity as human beings. We can honor their memories as best we are able. We can allow them to make a claim on us. And we can respond. In a moment, I'm going to be inviting you to pick up a pen and paper and write a letter. As part of this initiative started by the church in Bern, a batch of letters will be delivered to the Swiss Parliament in July. Letters expressing the concern of people here in Switzerland that refugees be treated with dignity and compassion. The hope is to, elect, is to collect a quantity of letters equal to the number of lives lost on the way to Europe since 1993. So that's 40,000 letters they're hoping to get in all, a stack of mail that could not be missed. I hope you will take this simple step, joining your voice with others in calling for refugees to be treated not as an issue, but as individual human beings, as people with names, with hopes, with gifts, with inherent worth. The unnamed women in our stories today show us the way forward, crossing boundaries, acting with compassion, demanding a wider vision of grace and belonging. So we let them lead today.
showing us once again that to God no one is simply NN. All are beloved children. All are God's own. All are neighbors whom we are called to welcome and to build up. Amen.